Good evening, everyone. Welcome to you. Can you, you all just do a favor? Our First Encounters team has asked if you all don't mind to move a little closer to the center of the aisles or to the center of the auditorium just to give some room. There's still people that were coming in. So if you don't mind, if you see some seats to your left, if you're on that side or to your right on that side, if you just slide in a little bit. Yeah, this is family time. Get comfortable, all right? All right. It's great to be able to share with you tonight. I get to double dip. I led worship, and then now I get to, to share the word tonight. Um, we're going to be continuing on in our series on living wisdom. Before I do that, let me just welcome everybody online that's joining us from around the world tonight. We're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, welcome, and we hope that you have enjoyed and sensed the Lord's presence tonight in worship, and also you here with us tonight. It's well, this is a good problem to have, to have to ask people to scooch in because uh, the auditorium is full. So welcome to you. Um, my name is Pastor Ray, and we're, again, going to be continuing on in a series we started about four or five weeks ago, Pastor Mike, yeah, on living wisdom. And if you've been with us, then you know that we've been looking at wisdom from the book of Proverbs, and our goal has been to explore the words of Proverbs and see how we can make its wisdom active, alive, living in our lives in practical ways. That's trying to help us look at those things. So tonight I've been given the topic of leadership and looking at leadership. Now, many of you probably know there are hundreds, if not thousands, of resources available on leadership. Uh, if you go and Google search, you'll get probably a million or so returns on that topic. So my goal tonight is to help us see how Proverbs can bring some practical insight into what is at the heart of many leadership principles. And because of that, I titled this message, the heart of leadership. So let's start off, let's kick things off. We're gonna look at our passage for tonight. It's Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. So if you have your device or your Bible, you can turn to Proverbs chapter four, or you can look at the screen. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, it says this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I'll read that again. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything else you do flows from it. Give that a moment to sink in. <laughs> and I'm sure there's quite a few of you going, what in the world does that have to do with leadership? It doesn't even mention the word leader. It doesn't even mention king, which you can find that throughout Proverbs, which is a, a synonym or an idea related, a word picture related to, to leaders. So, Pastor Ray, what are you getting at here? So, I'm going to tell you, if you're watching online, don't change, don't turn off the live stream. Just stick with me for a few minutes. For those of you here in the house, I'm sorry, you're stuck for the ride, so you're just going to have to stay with me tonight. We're going to, we're going to get through this, and I'm hoping that I can help you see how this is connected as we talk through this passage tonight. So, how is it connected? Well, for me, the obvious response would be, everything we do flows from it. And leadership is something that we do, right? So everything that we do flows from it. So that would be the obvious answer. But for me, really, for us to answer this question, what, how is this proverb connected to leadership? I think we need to look a little bit about what leadership 
truly is. And so that's where we're going to start tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about what leadership truly is. So what is leadership? And I'm going to take an answer that I have used for years from a leadership teacher named John Maxwell. John Maxwell has written numerous books on the topic. He's a respected author and a teacher on leadership. He was a pastor for many years and then wrote many books. And he's respected not only in the Christian world, but he's also respected in the business world for his teachings. And his definition of leadership is this. Put it up on the screen. Leadership is influence. Period. And in his book, he, he continues, he, he, he takes it a little further. He says, it's influence, nothing more, nothing less. It's what it is. But how, how can that be? How can leadership be influence? Many of you might be thinking, I thought leadership was responsibility, a title or a position, a position of authority. And these are all things that are part of leadership. They come with leadership, position, responsibility, authority. They come with leadership, but they do not define leadership. Are you with me? They do not define leadership. They are part of it. So John Maxwell likes to quote this little saying, a little proverb. It says this, He who thinketh he leadeth and hath no one following him is only taking a walk. <laughs> now, <laughs> we have to have people following us to truly be leaders. Someone must be following us. So, there are two things that are bad that come with misconceptions about leadership. I'm going to give you two things. Number one, with misconceptions of leadership, there are people who have influence, but they would never consider themselves leaders. That's misconception number one that comes. People think, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have a title. I don't have a position. I don't have any authority. But do you have influence? Okay, so that's the first misconception. The second one is there are people who would consider themselves leaders but actually have no real influence. Maybe they have a title. Now, in response to the first misconception, John Maxwell wrote, in one of his books, he said, sociologists estimate that even the most introverted individual will influence 10,000 other people during his or her lifetime. So, and we'll see this as we talk through this more tonight. We all have areas where we will have influence in our life. In regards to the second issue, John Maxwell writes, if we are observant, we can discover the prominent leader of any group. Titles and positions don't really matter. Just watch the people as they gather, as they work to resolve an issue or make a decision, whose opinion seems most valuable. I don't know, maybe you've been in a meeting like that in a room and you're sitting in this like a boardroom table and at the head is the true positional head of the organization and People come in and say, what are we going to do? And they all look to another guy sitting somewhere to the left or to the right of the actual leader. And they go, what do, what do you think? I've seen it happen. And that really shows you where the influence is in those circumstances. So if leadership is influence, what should leaders accomplish with their influence? What should we accomplish with our influence? Well, I like this idea. We should be moving 
people from one place to another. We should be helping people move from one place to another. I'm going to give you an example. Moses was called by God to move the children, Israel, the children of Israel out of Egypt to the land that was promised to their forefathers, to move them, to lead them, to move them from one place and move them to another. Now, God went with him. Now, when Moses shows up on the scene, he has a title because God called him, but he has no influence. The people are like, who are you? Who sent you? And he starts to build his influence, and God helps to build his influence through the signs and wonders and the miracles that God performs through Moses. This begins to give him the influence that he needs to lead the people out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. So back to our proverb. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So here's first real big point tonight. Since leadership is influence, what will ultimately determine or ultimately define leadership as either good or bad is motive. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? All right, we're alive. Okay. What will determine, see, leadership on its own doesn't, doesn't go one way or the other. It's the motive that defines whether leadership is good or bad. And this is really what Proverbs 4.23 is getting at. It's getting at the motive. And he says, above all else, really what the, the writer here is saying is, if you forget anything else I've ever said, don't forget this. Above everything else, guard your heart. And in this context, the heart is, is the motivating, it's the inner self, it's the inclination, the disposition, the determination. It's the thing that moves you, the things that motivates you, pushes you forward. So what are we supposed to be guarding that heart from? In earlier in chapter four of Proverbs, the character who's, who's called the father in this context encourages his sons to take hold of his words, his instructions, his wisdom. In verse four of chapter four, he says, you must hold on to my words. In Proverbs four, verse 20 through 22, he says, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to the one's whole body. See, for the writer of Proverbs, wisdom, for, in, in this idea, wisdom needs to take up residence in us. And we need to, once it's there, we have to protect it. We have to guard it. And if, you, if you've been lis listening through the, the teachings, early on in the book of Proverbs, it defines wisdom, the beginning of wisdom, as the fear of the Lord. And that's not, Fear as we understand being afraid, but I look at it as fear as keeping God in his rightful authority, in his rightful place. Not allowing other things to usurp God's authority, but keeping God in his rightful place. Once we have that revelation, once we have that knowledge, once we have that wisdom in us, we have to protect it. Because it will, in, it will influence, it will drive our motivations. 
So today, I want to just kind of take a side jump. Today, for us as followers of Yeshua, we should be extremely grateful for the Holy Spirit. Because this is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit. This is why we need him. Because he works in us to teach us, to instruct us, and to help us guard that truth. And I would, I would say that it would be next to impossible to do it alone. This is, I can't overemphasize how important it is that we allow the transformational, the transformational work of the Holy Spirit that will transform our thinking, our minds, our hearts, our motives, and cause us to speak and act differently towards other people. This is the end of this proverb in verse 23. He said, what is in us, it will, it will impact everything you do. So the reality is what is within us, what those things that we hold within us that we guard will have an impact on everything that we do, on our motives. So second key point tonight. At the heart of godly leadership is the heart of God. When we have received the heart of God, when we have been transformed, when we begin to see the world around us the way God sees us, and we begin to be motivated by those things, we begin to act like him to the world around us, and we begin to become godly leaders. We become people of influence who add value to other people. And something that's not really intuitive, I think, for us to understand is when we, when we add value to other people, actually our influence increases. You would think it would not necessarily work that way, but it does. As, as we serve other people, as we come under and help and move other people towards good things, our influence increases. John Maxwell says, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. What motivates us? When, when they know that our motivations are for their good, then all of our knowledge comes into a different place. When they see it as, you don't really even care about me, then it can just be taken or left. So our influence is increased. We must allow the spirit and the truth of God to instruct us and guide our motivations and we have to guard these motivations. So, John teaches about five levels of leadership, and I want to take a look at the first one more tonight. Again, this isn't an exhaustive study on leadership, but I'll, you'll get my point, hopefully, by the, by the end here. So, John teaches about five levels of leadership, and on the first level, it's, he calls it the most basic entry level of leadership, and he calls this level position. And he writes this, why is this the lowest level? Because position represents leadership before a leader has developed any real influence with the people being led. So I'm, maybe I'm given a role. Okay, Ray, uh, you're going to lead the worship team. You've never met these people, but you have a title. So now I go introduce myself. All I have now is that title and the authority that that title would bring, but I have absolutely no influence. So this is the starting point. This is the beginning place. This is where we begin in leadership. Remember, God gave Moses a position before Moses had the opportunity to build influence with the people of Israel. So in this level of leadership, in this first level, 
People follow because they have to. And at this level of leadership, we often see leaders attempting to exert control. <laughs> and watch, watch this, exert control over followers. Why? Because I have no influence. So what do I have to leverage? I have to leverage authority, control. And usually young, young leaders, this is where if they get stuck in this, it's, it's, it's not good. Because there's a clear difference between control and influence. And here are three examples. I'm gonna give you three examples of how positional leaders, people stuck in this first level, can exert control. Number one, stating their position and authority. I'll give you an example. Doesn't matter what you think. I'm the, insert your title here, boss. I'm the pastor. I'm the whatever. Give, give yourself a title, okay? Number two, stating the consequences of act, not acting as requested. If you don't do what I say, you will suffer the consequence. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your salary. You'll lose your bonus. Stating the consequence. Number three, stating why the person is necessary for the leader's plans or objectives. I need you to do this so that I can get something because I have something that I need. And these are statements of control. Now, I wanna preface this by saying this is not to say that control isn't necessary, okay? There are times when control is needed for people's own good and their safety and for their benefit, but however, control is not an effective long-term leadership strategy. Because as leaders move up to higher levels of leadership, influence increases and the need for control diminishes. Because people begin to follow because they want to, not because they have to. So tonight I wanna to look at one really good example of a level, a level one positional leader in the Bible. What's interesting is he happens to be the son of Solomon. The one who collected all of the Proverbs and who cried out, my son, don't forget my words. Listen to me. Take these things to heart. Guard them. And his son, Rehoboam, we're going to look at him. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, get stuck in the level one positional leader trap. Let's look at this together. So just to preface this, King Solomon has died. Rehoboam is about to be made king and they're, they're coming before him and the, the people of the northern tribes of Israel are coming and they have some grievances that they want to bring before the king before they're going to give him the authority to be king over them. So they come to him and they say in verse 4 of chapter 12, this is 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4, say this, your father made our yoke difficult. You therefore lighten your father's harsh service and heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. So evidently, I, it seems also that Solomon may not have continued in his own wisdom towards the end of his life in regards to governing the people. And he had made it difficult for the people of Israel. So after this encounter, Rehoboam sends the people away and he consults the elders, the, the advisors that had served his fathers. They're called the elders in this. And he brings them and he says, what do you think? How should I respond to this inquiry from the people of Israel? And this is what they said in 
1 Kings chapter 12, verse 7. They replied, this is the elders, today if you will be a servant to these people and serve them, if you will respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. There's wisdom talking right there. That's wisdom saying, serve your people and they'll follow you. Serve your people and they'll follow you. But guess what? Rehoboam says, nah, I don't like that. And he has some young men that had grown up with him that are now serving in his court and they're serving. He says, hey, you guys over here, come here. I want to talk to you. And he brings them over. He says, how do you think I should reply to these guys? Now listen to this. Chapter 12, verse 10. This is what they said. This is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. Uh-oh. So here, going back to my examples before, here are two ways. What did he do? He stated his authority. You don't seem to understand. I'm the king. And not only am I the king, if you thought my father was a king, I'm a bigger king. Okay? Number two, he states the consequence. Oh, you thought what my father did to you was hard? Well, if you don't serve me, just, just wait. He whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with barb whips. And he's using control to try to motivate the people of Israel to come under his authority. So let's hear the outcome of this wonderful leadership strategy. <laughs> Chapter 12, verse 16. When all Israel saw that the king had not listened to them, the people answered him, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Israel, return to your tents. David, look, this is sticking it back at him. Look after your own house. <laughs> so Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites living only in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, listen to this, who was in charge of forced labor. He sent him to Israel to try and put the people in forced labor. They stoned him to death. And King Rehoboam managed to get into his chariot and flee to Jerusalem. And Israel is in rebellion against the house of David until today. So his methodology of control didn't work. The people didn't come under his authority. So leadership is not about control. It's not about title. It's not about power. It's not things that we hold over people's heads for forced obedience. Without our motivations being in line with God's heart, leadership becomes about where I can move others for my benefit. When my motives are not God's motives, I am moved to try and move people somewhere for my purpose, for my benefit. This is the essence of control. Now let me contrast this real fast with an example from the life of Yeshua. And what's significant about this is when we, when we started in that passage with Rehoboam, he's, he's becoming king. He's not king yet, but he's starting. So it's a starting point. This passage we're going to look at talking about Yeshua. Yeshua is becoming the leader of his disciples. He's calling his disciples. It's, it's the beginning place. So there's a similarity. Both of these situations are at the very beginning. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to this. As he, Yeshua, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And the next passage says they left their nets and they followed him. Amazing. The example here is, is it's, it's, for me, it's mind-boggling because he never stated his position. Because a positional leader, if, this, if Yeshua was a positional leader, he would have said, hey guys, um, I'm the son of God and um, you need to follow me. And if, if he went to step number two and he said, guys, if you don't follow me, it's not going to be good for you. You see? But he didn't. He didn't say any of it. He didn't say who he was. He didn't give any consequence. He said, simply, follow me. And he told them where he wanted to take them for their good. He said, I see what you're doing right now, but guys, I can take you to a place I see where God can use you in a way that's so much greater than what you're doing right now with these fishnets. Let me take you there for your good. And this is how he called his disciples. This is influence, not control. When our motivations are in line with God's heart, Leadership becomes about where can I take others for their benefit? This is influence. Another story in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, James and his brother John come to Yeshua and they say, Lord, we, we want to ask you something. Will you, if we ask you something, will you do something for us? And Yeshua says, okay, well, what do you want? What are you asking for? And James and John said, Kim, we want to sit on your left and your right when you come into your glory. And Yeshua responds in a way that's amazing. He, he first says, look, you don't even know what you're asking for. You, you don't know what that's going to cost you. And secondly, it's not even my authority to give that to you. But I think at the heart of all this for Yeshua, he's like, but the reality is you're asking for the wrong thing. Because you're wanting a place of honor. You're wanting an authority. You're wanting to be respected and have some sort of authority because you think you can lord that in some way over others. Is that what this is about? Is that where I'm leading you? And it says that the other disciples heard the conversation and they got really, really, really mad at the brothers. And so Yeshua, seeing a teachable moment, calls all of the disciples together. And then in verse 42 of Mark chapter 10, it says this, and he called them all over and said to them, 
You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their men of high positions exercise power over them. Listen to this. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. He says, this is how the Gentiles live. Get a position and, hey, what can I take from you so that I have a good life? Yeah, how can I can... You know, how can I rule over you? How can I get what I need? Why? Because the Gentiles were devoid of God's heart. They were driven by self. And that's where it will go. Back to our proverb. Guard your heart. For from it, everything you do will flow from it. Instead, he encourages the disciples, serve, influence the world around you. Gain influence with people, serve them. And guess what? In doing so, you'll probably be respected in a way that you never thought possible, that you never thought imaginable. Look out for the interests of others. Serve one another. And he ends by giving himself as the example. He said, I didn't even come to be served. But I came to serve and to give my life. This is influential leadership. This is what it looks like. So, back to our proverb. I, I believe this is why what's at the heart of this writing in this proverb is, guard, look, your motives will determine so many things about how we interact in life and how we interact with other people. Guard that. Let it be transformed with the truth of God, but then guard that. Protect that. Don't allow it to become influenced again by sin. So we have an understanding of what leadership is, and we've seen this example from Yeshua. So how, how do we live this out? I want to just take a moment. I want to ask you all just to consider for a moment what areas in your own life that you have influence. I'll list a couple here because maybe you, you haven't thought of it. If you're a married person, you have influence with your spouse. Maybe you don't think that, but you do. <laughs> you do. If you're a parent, you have influence with your children. If you are a friend, if you are a person that someone would call a friend, you have influence. I shared this with our youth a few weeks ago. I think we oftentimes misunderstand what a friend is. For me, a friend is a person that we invite to have influence in our life. If I know a person that I have not invited to have influence in my life, that is an acquaintance. That is a person I know, but they're not my friend, regardless of what Facebook would tell you. <laughs> Sorry, okay? Because for me, a friend is someone that I've invited to have influence in my life. So if you are considered a friend by someone, you have influence. 
If you're a coworker, if you have classmates, even in those contexts, don't have to be the boss. You don't have to be the teacher. You have influence in those relationships in your life. And so in all of these, in all of these areas, what we need to do, and think about that, just take a minute and think about what those are in your own life. And in all of those areas, we need to be checking our motivations. What is my motivation in that relationship? What is my motivation in that context? Am I motivated to see them move someplace for their own good, for their own better, but to see, to help them become the person that God wants them to be? Or am I motivated to just see what I can take from the person? See the difference? I would say to husbands and wives, I, I pray all the time, Father, help me to be a man that helps my wife become the woman that you desire her to be. Help me to speak things into her life. Help me to encourage her. Help me, and the same thing for my children. And I know when they're young, when our kids are young, when they're little, control works really good. Okay? But I'm telling you, parents, as they get older, control has less and less and less effect. And at some point, what you're going to be left with is the influence that you have in your children's lives. And that needs to be motivated by our desire to see them grow and become the people that God wants them to be. So in all these circumstances, Lord, tonight, just help us to see what are our motivations? Where are we? What are we expecting? And coming back to our proverb, above all else, guard your heart. I'm gonna close with this. We must allow the Spirit of God to instruct us and to guide our motivations. We must allow those motivations to cause us to seek and to add value to people. We must guard these motivations with great care because sin is always working to refocus us, to move us back towards self. It's working against us. And remember, when our motivations are in lines with God's heart, that's when leadership becomes about when I, where I can take others for their benefit. This is influence. And leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less.